That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. Dr. David Miller, ND here with the uh, fantastically quaffed uh, Dr. Michelle Pobega, ND. What's up? Yeah, I blow dried my hair. I'm very good. I actually put a little elbow grease in it today, polished the turd a bit, as I like to say. I got some plans. I got places to go and people to see today. So... Yeah. Look good. Look good. That doesn't do the Thanks. podcast much good, does it, for the listeners? No. But uh, they can believe me when I say it. Yeah, I just want you guys to appreciate that I actually did my hair. That's yeah, it all. Looks good. Okay. You, you know what? Oh, and the shirt is amazing today too. But I got to stop going about on about how you look, and let's talk about our content for today. Hmm. Guess, uh, who, guess uh, who wanted to talk about this one? Well, I mean, <laughs> I feel like. This might come as a shock and a surprise to our audience, uh, but Dave wanted to talk about an affliction of the stomach. What? <laughs> I I was floored when he approached me about this, and I was like, "You, Dave, you never talk about the stomach. This is no, so, you're so out of character. Wild, so out of character." So, um, Dave wanted to chat about gastritis. Um, so we're going to chat about gastritis. Yeah. That's well, chronic, <laughs> chronic gastritis specifically, because um, mm-hmm. I guess you can get, you know, acute gastritis from many different mm-hmm. things. But what was, you know, what floored me mm-hmm. about chronic gastritis is half of the population has it in the I world. Know. It's a, it's like a pandemic. I know that's, that's literally the article, the, the, the journal article that I read and you read we both happened to read the same one that wasn't, it was a coincidence. And it literally said, I believe it did use the word pandemic. Yeah. The, <laughs> the other pandemic, the, other pandemic still going on. the one that's still afflicting half of the global population that nobody is really caring about. <laughs> I can't believe how little, um, when I, when I read about it, it's, you know, it's always humbling when you sort of go look into things, right. Even if you yeah. think, you know, a little bit, you're like, holy shit, I forgot about a whole bunch of this or never learned it. Um, mm. But here we are talking about chronic gastritis, which affects half the world's population and is generally caused by H. pylori. Yeah, that's a bugger of a bug. Now, a lot of people have H. pylori. So this is how this is how like the stats talk about H. pylori, that a lot of people have it, but don't know they have it and it doesn't bother them. But then when I see a statistic, like half the population has chronic gastritis, I was like, are we really sure that most people with H. pylori, it's not bothering them Yeah. <laughs> since like 90% of cases or 75 plus percent of chronic gastritis is H. pylori induced. Wild. So I'm just kind of like, are we really sure that it's really not being an issue for most people? Or is it just not enough of an issue for people to be doing something about it that it's being recorded statistically? Like, I feel like that's maybe more of the thing. 
you know where it's normalized you know so common yeah. and then yeah. um you know this this actually i i do think this episode or the, the little bit of research that went into this in the last few days um might fundamentally change my practice hmm yeah. I think it's just going to change how I approach my body. As I shared with you, I was like, maybe I have gastritis. I was like, some of these symptoms sound familiar. <laughs> well, it's what well, I mean, you, I had a guy come in this week saying, uh, you know, I just want to, I don't get these cases much anymore, but he came mm. in basically like, I want to make sure I've got enough of all my vitamins and minerals and all that stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, we can test for some of them. They're half decent. You know, the testing is half decent for some things. Um, but but really, I'm like, you know, what we got to do is talk to you about your stomach because you can throw as much stuff as you want in in your stomach. But if it's not doing the job of, you know, digesting and assimilating it, then it's, you know, very expensive PP that you're making. <laughs> yeah, yes. Or you know? poo-poo. Or that too. Or PP and poo-poo. <laughs> <laughs> so so we don't, we don't want uh, that to be expensive and we don't want to waste... I uh, don't want to waste things and we want to be, you know, as smart and efficient with our, our practice as possible. So it, it does direct my question a bit more, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm thinking there are micronutrient deficiencies like iron, calcium, magnesium, zinc, instead of just blasting them, you know, throwing them down someone's gob and hoping for the best. Yeah. Um, let's make sure they got a catcher's mitt, you know? Well, I mean, yeah. And I, and I feel like I think about that a lot because people come in with gut health issues and they're on a laundry list of supplements because they're just trying to stay afloat. And yeah. I'm always like, we're going to reprioritize these. I don't want you to waste these things, but you're probably already wasting them and not really maximizing your absorption. So let's refocus on what really matters. Put those back in your shelf. We'll pull them on out when things are in a better place. And a lot of people are kind of gobsmacked by that because yeah. they're like, but don't I need this? And I was like, absolutely. But are you absorbing it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's the smarter, more sort of patient way to go. But I think, you know, when, probably when I was uh, younger, I would more likely, well, even, you know, not that long ago, like you said, this might fundamentally change the way I go about things. And, uh, you know, in unrelated news, all the bitters are off my shelf this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just flying off the shelf. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody needs a little uptick in their kind of digestive function. Yeah, well. I mean, what I think it seems like a more if the bitters are indicated, you know, and if they're helpful, what a way more efficient way about going about things than throwing more stuff down the, down yeah. the hatch and hoping yeah. for the best. Cool. You can you can justify taking a million supplements for a lot of things. And I tell that to clients and I was like, it's easy for me to get ahead of myself and be like, oh, but we need this and this and this. But you really do want to prioritize things. I, I can't stress that enough because otherwise, I don't know. I, anyway, so. This this uh, gastritis is is super interesting. So just if just really quickly for for the listeners at home, uh, some of the signs and symptoms of gastritis, just the, to help you identify, would be like a central kind of or upper chest abdominal pain is usually the most common is an actual pain and like that behind the sternum or upper upper abdomen it can have burning around the stomach area you can have a sense of fullness in the stomach or bloating in your upper abdomen you can have indigestion belching and hiccups a loss of appetite there could be nausea and vomiting you could also have some signs of stomach bleeding and it could be in the vomit but it could also look at like coffee grinds in the poop uh or or like or like blood in the, in the poops as well. So, um, 
So just yeah, black poop of any kind is yeah bad sign. Or is it coffee grinds in the vomit because it's been chewed up by the stomach acid and that's where the red the blood looks like coffee grinds. Is that what it is? Yeah, I, I always remember. Be, that I think detail. it would be more that uh, definitely you don't. Yeah, it's more like with upper GI bleeding that comes out the the mm. anus like mm -hmm. stool. It's going to have blackened by that right. time. But I, I mean, if you're that. vomiting, if you're if if you have like crazy nausea and vomiting uh you know i mean yeah you hopefully you're being taken care of and yeah yeah so so just a little something for for the peeps at home uh to help you identify what gastritis is but first like should we just define gastritis for everyone too yeah go for it it's an itis so yeah it's an itis so it's an it's an inflammatory condition of the lining of the stomach so your mucosal lining of the stomach is it it's just the mucosal lining right well, that's how it starts. Right. And then it can right? get deeper with time if it gets really serious. Yeah, exactly. So maybe, you know, let's let's give a little sub two little subgroups of chronic gastritis uh, and start with atrophic mm. and non-atrophic. Mm -hmm. And these are same, they're the same disease at different stages. And things start out in the superficial layer. Mm -hmm. So those spirochetes or spirochetes, whatever, however you pronounce that. Spirochetes. Uh, spirochetes. Um, that's the shape of the H. pylori. I think it's not the same as syphilis. I think it's the same anyway. That's the same thing. And they dig, they dig in because they're they're like little screws. They dig into the superficial lining, and then uh, your immune cells chase them in. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the H. pylori does a whole bunch of like crazy immune evasive shit, which is so wild. It's it's similar. Like when I looked at cold sores a lot how the, they, they do all the, it's all, it's like this cat and mouse game and they'll like put these fake self tags on them. So you don't, so your immune system doesn't attack them as attacking yeah. itself and cause a whole bunch of like, it's um, wild. It is wild. So then there's like all this non-specific inflammatory damage that goes on. Then the little buggers. But, it's, but, but, but a lot of that damage is because of our immune system trying to eradicate yeah, yeah. the bug. It's not exactly. even the bug itself causing the damage. And I just want to be clear for people. It's actually, it's so hard to kill that it's our immune system that causes the residual damage because it's just trying to eradicate this bug. Yeah. Pretty, and it's then, pretty interesting. And then it digs deeper. Mm. Um, and then that's when it gets into the, the real bad kind where we get um, atrophy, uh, which, you know, trophic means growing, atrophic means not growing. So things shrink and die um, of those, uh, um, those cells, goblet cells, et cetera, that are required to make, um, hydrochloric acid and so you end up when you have atrophic chronic gastritis which is an a worsened version of non-atrophic you end up not even being able to make uh, hydrochloric acid which sort of begs some pretty early questions about proton pump inhibitors as a kind of therapy i know i was we were talking about that too being like that the main the main therapy in western medicine is to smack that H pylori with rounds and rounds of antibiotics yeah. and then give either a proton pump inhibitor, some sort of acid suppressor or something to neutralize stomach acid, which I find interesting because H pylori also thrives in a low stomach acid environment. And it also yeah. releases enzymes to neutralize the stomach acid. So now we're just creating a healthier environment for this bug. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like is that really our best? Is that our best strategy? Really? <laughs> you, you know what it's, and I think, I think we're both struggling with trying to find the, um, 
the rationale for it, its widespread use, um, it does give some symptomatic relief. It seems it's like a short-term fix for some people. Maybe it helps. And I bet there's some conditions where it actually is like, you know, quite helpful. Yes. And I, there and are I under- some hyperacidic, like hyperacidic conditions, but Correct. this would, this would be, as you said, contributing to an environment that the H. pylori actually works to achieve. That's just it. But then also if one of the consequences of chronic gastritis is atrophy and then reduce stomach acid function, why would we want to further perpetuate that? I understand from a symptom relief. And then depending on, like you said, the severity, and if we're concerned about esophageal, like cellular changes in the esophagitis because of GERD and things like that, I like temporarily, but not without still addressing the real issues at hand. So I just, uh, yeah, I have a hard time understanding how that is uh, the only strategy. It doesn't mean it's wrong temporarily, but it shouldn't be the only strategy. Exactly. No, I think that's exactly right. And and I, you know, maybe sometimes someone can come on and educate us as to maybe why mm-hmm. uh, it's used. So, because it just seems, you know, you know, partly why I don't know as more that much more about this specific use of it is because we already know the risks and, and everything with H or sorry, with uh, proton pump inhibitor use are just, they're so high and they're actually related to some of the things yeah. you know we're talking about here like people get uh more uh it generally contributes to osteoporosis risk uh contributes to nutrient deficiencies it contributes to further um dysbiosis and and uh other uh infections of the gastrointestinal tract including the stomach but also subsequent to that so you're talking about like people like to talk about SIBO and stuff like that i think one thing i you know we can say we really overlap or at least i overlap a lot with the SIBO view is that they do understand the importance of of creating uh, a stomach that is in a uh, proper pH zone. Otherwise your, your susceptibility to yeah. further infections is completely buggered and your absorption of at least let's say iron, calcium, magnesium, B12, yeah. maybe vitamin D and C. Like those, yeah. those are a lot. That's a, that's just some big, those are some heavy hitters yeah. in all fairness that there's a, there's a lot of uh, those, those carry a lot of weight and significance with, with what our body requires. And like you were saying, your stomach acid, uh, it's acidic to knock out <laughs> bugs. Yeah. Like it's, it's your first line of defense before it starts to permeate further into your immune, into your digestion. And then your immune system really has to elicit risk response. So, uh, uh, we want, we want a good low pH in the stomach guys. <laughs> so other, other conditions. And I found this was interesting too, like just ordinary, well, you you can uh, differentiate, and you brought it up when we had our little pre-talk about mm. peptic, uh, gastric, and duodenal ulcer. Mm-hmm. You can you can do that little differentiation. But I thought what was really interesting is that uh, peptic ulcers or stomach uh, cancers are exceedingly rare without first having the precondition of gastritis, which is also exceedingly rare if you do not have the pre-existing condition of H. pylori infection. Um, so take it from there. Oh God, this part confused me though. Um, so it says peptic ulcer disease and gastric cancer are a huge consequence of chronic gastritis. Now, yes, I think there was a, I don't know, there was a typo in this or something, but peptic ulcers are basically the, the, I, I, from my understanding, and if anyone is listening and you want to correct me, like I'm, I'm open to it, but like, that is the ulcers of both the stomach and the upper intestines, the duodenal ulcers. So 
Um, but gastric ulcers specifically in the stomach are more, will more commonly have atrophy, but, um, and, uh, will be part of an atrophy type of like chronic gastritis, um, but not necessarily completely gas, uh, atrophic. So it might be more of like an achlorhydria or hypochlorhydria kind of situation for gastric ulcers. Is that correct? Yeah, I think, I, I think what I got, yes, I think, I think. And then I guess maybe more duodenal like ulcers, it might be more in a non atrophic Type yes, of because where they're still making some stomach acid. Exactly. If you have the ulcers, it, what the implication is that you're still making the acid, so it's not completely atrophied. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the cells that make that make the HCL parietal so, cells. I also think I read somewhere um, this can also lead to a higher incidence of gastric polyps too. But don't quote me on that. Yeah, no, that's some- for sure. <clears throat> because what's going on is as it goes from the superficial. Um, non-atrophic to atrophic there's metaplasia yeah. that's happening and so when you have sort of metaplastic changes there's you know cells start to go a bit buck wild and uh Wonky. and yeah and then that that leaves you with your preconditions maybe necessary but not sufficient for gastric cancer which is still yeah. a big thing yeah anyways <clears throat> it's uh it's it's kind of it's kind of a big deal so for chronic ones, H. pylori is the cause of majority of cases, but there can also be a bit of like a, an autoimmune type component to it, Dave. Do you want to chat yes. a little bit about that one? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So wh- what there's what they're saying in this, uh, this the one paper I uh, got a lot of my informa- information from was the Scandinavian Journal of Gastroenterology 2015, um, 50, uh, 657 to 667. So what they talked about in that is that yes, the vast majority are H. pylori, but they did not rule out the possibility that those that were discerned as being autoimmune in etiology or nature, they didn't rule that out that those people also had H. pylori, but they cleared the infection, but -hmm. it was enough of a trigger to start the autoimmune process in someone who's susceptible enough. And I wonder if that's also partly because the immune system has to work so hard to eradicate the H. pylori. Then I wonder if there's some weird hiccup that happens there and then it becomes almost like, yes, like, is, is there, is there, is there legitimacy to, to my hypothesis? There? Yes. I, I, I will, I will uh, say that that is a very plausible uh, chain of events. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause like, even totally. with, even with auto from a functional medicine and naturopathic perspective, an autoimmune condition can be turned on because of this perfect storm that happens in your gut, because then your immune system gets hyperreactive and then there's a hiccup, right? Or at least that's part of the philosophies from, from, from the naturopathic and functional medicine perspective. So I'm thinking if your immune system is just like firing all pistons ahead at your stomach, that eventually there might, there might be something might go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And, yeah. I, and, and I think the sequelae, like the reason I'm extremely, um, <clears throat> you know, interested in this is because when the stomach is off, everything's off in the gut. Yeah. It's, it, you know, like complex adaptive systems, if you're a real nerd or just holism, if you're like, you know, naturopathic thinker where everything affects everything in some way, uh, that's all, I love all that stuff. It's fine and dandy and all that, but there is a linearity to digestion. And if the stomach doesn't do its part, then everything subsequent to that is compromised. Everything. Yeah. So 
It's interesting how it can just degrade over years too. It's just like, it, layer, and it seems like it does layer right? upon layer upon. Layer. Okay. So my question to you is like, uh -oh. we, we, I know, I don't know if I'm going to put you on the spot or not, but like <laughs> we treat, we, we do support gastritis. Like I'm treating a lot of H pylori that isn't always recognized, but people have all the classic symptoms and we're dealing with like really doubling down on like masticachios and zinc and, and demulsants and things like that. Um, but when it comes to atrophic gastritis, I mean, I don't ever want to say never say never, but is there the potential to reinvigorate the cells of the stomach lining if it gets to that severity? Like, I, I'm just curious about that. It's a, it's a great, great question. Um, I don't want, I think that, I think the body's ability to heal is remarkable when it's given the right circumstances environment. I, yeah, exactly. I, 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 I would like to think that there's some way to revitalize this organ there. Ha I don't know. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're right. I think my, my, my hopeful optimism. <laughs> I think you're right though. If, if the cells have the potential to, to still grow into those, you know, if there hasn't been so much uh, metaplastic or whatever changes that they still have the potential to grow into the kinds of cells that the body needs. Um, yeah. and you create the environment there. I think, I think they will, uh, I would, I would, I would be with you on that one. I'd say they probably will, but the, the key is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> time. My God. Like if you get to the point where things are really, um, atrophied, yeah, it's going to take longer um, but you hope to catch mm -hmm. someone maybe in hypochlorhydria. Remember, hypo just means not yeah. enough. You yeah. hope to catch them where it's hypochlorhydria, not achlorhydria, because then yeah. that that type of that that amount of atrophy might be very hard to come back from. Yeah, my 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 half that was my half glass full, and now my half glass empty thought processes uh -oh. is also um, we have to think about all the other confounding factors. Like yeah. so many people are stressed out. And the nervous system directly <laughs> impacts your stomach and our vagus yeah. nerve. A lot of people eat poor nutritious foods. You'd have to be extremely committed to the process and really like finding ways to like settle your nervous system, breathe, relax, and surrender to the process. And that's very difficult to do. I think in that, in the point where it gets atrophic, you know what I mean? And you really have to like revitalize things. Um, I'm not, I don't think it's impossible, but I feel like that would be more of a challenge in in today's society, if I'm being a hundred percent honest about yeah. things. Yeah, for sure. One of the, so. one of the interesting uh, things I found in, in doing our research here is that um, once things become atrophied and, and uh, achlorhydric, the acid free stomach is ultimately colonized uh, with microbe flora from the mouth. But yes. When I saw you write that in our notes, I was like, that's wild. Isn't that crazy? And then that, that, and then, that, and then this makes me think this, most people don't know how to take care of the oral microbiome well. So then exactly. what are we colonizing the stomach with? Yeah. Well, if you, if you look into it or know someone who, who knows everything about it, uh, let's get them on because I've, I've wondered about that for a long time is, and it's funny in Chinese medicine that, you know, the mouth is the opening to the stomach, you know, if the, if the health of the gums and the mouth is off, then we've always like the Chinese medicine perspective has always been probably the yeah. stomach is off. Very and, interesting. Yeah. And then I think about people who have had like mercury amalgams and your body creates a biofilm and then it's usually fungal or people with root canals and how it could be a festering of microbes that you just trapped under there. And then it becomes like this uh, you know, uh, anaerobic environment for them to thrive. Like there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in the mouth that I'm learning from more like biological dentistry and reading these books and different sources that I've been connected with. And, and then I'm just kind of, 
<laughs> ah, that's wild. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when I read that, and I was like, oh god. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 crazy. I want I want to know more about that too. I know, me too. Um, I have to find a guest for us to bring on the show for that. So, in, maybe interesting from a, a clinician perspective is that it's it's usually this gastritis is antral predominant. So the antrum, um, the antrum of the stomach is the is the predominant um, area in which it starts. Now it doesn't always happen like this, but they say that it's predominantly in the antrum or antrum, whatever you want to call it. Um, and remember, uh, the antrum is just proximal to the pyloric sphincter, so it, that's why it's called H pylori. It's down by the pylorus where it likes to grow. Can you use words that are more layman's terms for the people who are not naturopaths? Yeah. <laughs> Proximal too, and blah, blah, blah. So, okay. <laughs> you're, so, you're such a nerd, Dave. I appreciate you. Okay, but I'm just sorry. thinking about some people who are like, what's the antrum? What does proximal yeah. mean? Pro- proximal. So, so basically, you know, the, the gastrointestinal tract is a tube from your mouth to your anus with a few little, uh, you know, on ramps. <laughs> on ramps and off ramps <laughs> so when the esophagus uh is going to then so your esophagus you know from your throat turns into your esophagus right then that turns into the cardia that's the uh, the part of the um the stomach where it's transitioning from the esophagus then the fundus is on top it's fundus fun there. it's fun <laughs> it's a fun spot to hang fun out up there fun and then um so we're just going in order here so cardia sort of fundus and body the body is the main uh, part of the, the corpus corpus of the stomach yes the main middle part of the stomach and then we're getting into the antrum so let's see so where the the body is sort of narrowing down and then the pylorus is the last part of the of the stomach where um the pyloric sphincter is mm-hmm. there and it op- can uh, open and close to uh, let contents in or out so um most of the the onset of H. pylori is in that area, sort of at the bottom of the stomach where it's actually less acidic because that's what they like, but that's why the PPI thing is funny, right? Like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're splitting your, they're splitting, they're making urea, urea to increase the, uh, the, the pH. It's, yeah. It, yeah, that's what they do. Anyway, I find that uh, puzzling. But it is the number six selling drug in the world, uh, that class. So, you know, clearly there's a market Ooh. for it. <laughs> there's yeah. something for it. Yeah. Um, Someone's some... making money from that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, some of the nerdy stuff, too. Like the first, the first for the, for the nerds, um, the first kind of chronic, uh, they call it superficial inflammation is uh, mononuclear, so uh, monocytes. Um and with a coexistence of uh, a little active neutrophilic inflammation. And when neutrophils go in, they cause ruckus. Um, neutrophils are like, there's, yeah, they're like, they don't live very long and they, they are tough buggers and create a lot of oxidative stress and damage, which is how they kill bugs and stuff. Well, they are our first line of defense. So they are like our heavy hitters. They're our, they're our artillery yeah, they're they're like yeah, they're mean infantry. They just right. go in there and so there's and, gonna be there's gonna be some 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 debris, some residual de- yes. debris from the war that they fight, and uh, that means some inflammation and the damage that happens and the damage and it keeps it keeps going deeper and and and, and turns into a yeah, it turns into more of a I believe the neutrophils start to 
um, yeah, it's the chronic inflammation associates with a neutrophilic inflammation. So lots of neutrophils going in and causing ruckus. Mm-hmm. Um, so the gradual decline uh, leads to, obviously we've, we've talked about how HCL acid um, mm-hmm. gets decreased, but also intrinsic factor secretion. Um, there's there's issues with that. And I remember learning about this even in naturopathic college where the lack of intrinsic factor um, causes problems with the absorption, which is really complicated of uh, vitamin B12. Yeah. And then uh, there was also something about how the malabsorption, it can, it can maybe even lead to long lasting and permanent deficiencies of B12 if that happens, yep. which then can affect your metabolism of methionine, homocysteine, which is cardiovascular stuff, folate. And now we're thinking about methylation factors, which has yeah, to do exactly. with DNA repair, detoxification, hormone metabolism, like SNPs, like all that genetic SNPs looking at those, like it starts to make you think, okay, like you can look the at downstream, SNPs all you want. Yeah. yeah. The downstream, the downstream consequences are huge downstream consequences in areas in which a lot of people focus, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of our, and thank God some of them have, because then we learn from them, but like they've focused so much on the SNPs and all that. Well, methionine, homocysteine and folate, I mean, there's how you're going to modify your susceptibility to SNPs uh, causing lots of issues with methylation. Yep. Um, So that's interesting. And then um, did we say this about, yeah, when, when the, when the microbes uh, from the acid-free, like that live in the acid-free stomach, because you're, you're, the microbes that live in your stomach will change as you go to atrophic gastritis if you do get there. And they create all those carcinogenic uh, things like acetaldehyde and nitrosamines. Acetaldehyde is also just, it's like a, it's, it's a toxin in our body. Even though like it's a natural byproduct of like the breakdown of alcohol, it's also a byproduct of yeast and candida eating sugars. That's why people feel drunk when they have like a yeast overgrowth. Because yeah, when they eh? when you feed the yeah. we feed them sugars, you get that same kind of drunk feeling from alcohol. Yeah. Because of the acetaldehyde production that's made, which is wild. But it's no bueno for us guys. No, so I, it's and and um I just can't believe how many of us have this. And now I'm gonna look at I am gonna look at and I've been focusing on the stomach and I'm gonna look at practice yeah. differently yeah. from from looking at this. So that's sort of the the nuts and bolts of what's going on with gastritis and yeah. like how many of us have it and what what's going on. Well, chronic you, chronic gastritis. Chronic gastritis. So, exactly. so like there's different variations. When I was even looking into it, I was looking at just gastritis as a whole and then just a number of things that can be underlying caused by underlying disorders. And this might also just create the environment that allows H. pylori to thrive as well, right? This might be where this is kind of happening. So like excessive alcohol consumption and said use post-surgery can cause like weaknesses in the, in the, in the, um, the tissue. So uh, the H. pylori infection, but possibly other infections, or if you have a, a really poor microbiome, like, like the oral microbiome, cause then that leads into the stomach. Um, there was also some other things like food allergies and tolerances, chronic bile reflux, excessive stress, autoimmune conditions, right? All that kind of stuff can, can maybe be a part of the underlying reasons why maybe some people are more sensitive to this becoming a more pervasive issue. So just something to think about. Um, and then when it comes to gastritis, we also need to rule out other things, maybe not chronic because that's half the people, but like just gastritis in, in general, some differential diagnoses that are going to be like, non-ulcerative dyspepsia, peptic ulcers, GERD, gastric cancer, gastroenteritis, celiac disease, pancreatic disease, 
because there could be overlap of symptoms with a lot of those things. I would also say like liver gallbladder problems as well, as I've seen them being related to a lot of like GERD that isn't stomach related or even nausea. Uh, Zollinger-Ellison uh, syndrome as well could be um, a differential diagnosis for that. Um, so just a few things to think about. And then Zollinger-Ellison's really, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to pop that one, a li- give it a little bit extra because it is actually, uh, it is a, 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 it is one that requ- where the body's making too much acid. So mm-hmm. that's maybe that is one where, um, I, and I don't know this because I haven't run into anyone with this, so I don't know, but it is one that we should, uh, maybe yeah. highlight because it is the, it is not hypochlorhydria because the symptoms look the same, which is, yeah. isn't that crazy how sometimes like the symptoms of too much iron and too little iron can look the same. The symptoms of too much and too little acid, acid and too little acid. And everyone just jumps to, Oh, it's too much acid where yeah. a lot of the times it's, it could actually be not enough or an infection or inflammation or something else. Right. And it's not always an excessive amount of acid. So I hear you on that one. So thanks for shining a light on that from a, from a treatment strategy perspective. Well, you want to identify and address the underlying causes. So if there is H pylori, you want to treat that effectively. If people are using an extreme amount of NSAIDs causing inflammation and irritation to the gastric lining, you might want to find an alternative to that. Uh, we want to start addressing the pain and inflammation. So for things like that, I would go back to my demulcents. I love my demulcent herbs. I know you oh, do yeah. too. So good. Your face so when good. you said that, like you were just in bliss mode. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard to go wrong with them. I know. I love them. Um, and then some anti-inflammatories that could be helpful would be something like a turmeric. Uh, like, Turmeric or curcumin. I almost combined the words. Um, yay me. Uh, maybe some omega-3s with a high dose of EPAs. Uh, that could be helpful as well to help with the anti-inflammatory side. Um, again, treating the infection, like I said, and repair gastric mucosa. So you might glutamine, maybe bring in some probiotics. I love my S. boulardii because it also helps with H. pylori. Zinc, especially zinc carnosine can be very helpful for gastrointestinal repair. You may want to also start to, once this is all said and done, begin to address maybe some of the nutrient deficiencies that kind of happen from that, like the B12, addressing iron, you know, maybe replenishing some, you know, folic acid, things like that. But that from a nutritional perspective, you're going to want to avoid some of the triggering foods, not forever, but temporarily. So you stop adding fuel to the fire while you're trying to put out the fire, right? So like- Think logically. What about your spicy foods, your coffee, your sugar, your alcohol, um, acidic foods, maybe like nitrates and preservatives, like try to eat a little bit more clean. Um, If you have known food allergens, be diligent with those. Um, You know, another one that we love is increasing your fiber intake, especially soluble fibers. Let's shine a light on that psyllium that we love. Um, There's some interesting stuff about um, cabbage juice and sauerkraut being reparative to the gut too. And I've never, I always forget about this and I haven't tried it, but I've heard about it. And I think it has to do with this thing called like vitamin U that was, um, this factor called vitamin U that, Mm -hmm. um, prevents the development of like histamine induced peptic ulcers. There were some studies done in Guinea pigs, but then there's a lot of, there's a few human trials, but they find that it's rapidly healing for peptic ulcers. So there's something 
in this, this vitamin U component that seems to improve the mucosal lining and the healing capacity of the digestive system, especially the gastric, uh, the gastric lining, which is awesome. But I believe uh, the studies have been more on like fresh, fresh ga- uh, green cabbage juice. Is that, I think so. Fresh green cabbage juice. I think the studies were done. Um, but yeah. Uh, and then, you know, as naturopaths, we have different toolboxes for like antimicrobials and demulcents and gut repair and stuff like that. So like as naturopaths, we have our toolbox for those things. Uh, but those would be like the basics and how long someone has to be doing those things is to be determined case by case. But I would also say working on your nervous system and trying to find ways to like chill the F out because we're also stressed and it affects our digestion. (laughs) Very stressed. stressed. Yeah. So, so that would be like the strategy and then rebuilding stomach acid as well to, to enable proper digestive juices. Some people might be using like betaine, um, to help with that, that, uh, supercharging stomach acid production. Maybe you're doing digestive bitters. Maybe you're doing like apple cider vinegar or whatever it is that stimulates gastric juices, but you are going to want to revitalize that eventually as well. Yes. Well said. That would be a final step. Well said. Well said. Yeah. But uh, yeah, gastritis guys. It's no bueno. Half of y'all got it. (laughs) So common, but no bueno. Yeah. So. Um, how, is it going to change at all, Michelle, how you go about things in any way, do you think, or, uh, is this sort of like, not that surprising to you? I think, I think the understanding that possibly half of the population, I think is the surprising part. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that it might start to have me approach certain digestive issues with maybe, a little bit more TLC and maybe not go right into the antimicrobials, but maybe do more soothing stuff first. And we've talked about this before. And I recently had a client who it was very obvious based on her profession, what she does, her microbial exposures and gut this and gut that. I was like, okay, we're going to start to do some antimicrobials because like you need to, like things are all out of sorts. Um, and there were some really obvious things that were shining out and we're test- sending her for testing as well. Um, but she, it just made her feel worse. And I put her on GI soothe as well. And I said, okay, well, we're just going to pair things back. You're just going to do the GI soothe. Yeah. And then you can, when you feel like you're cool, you can add one capsule of the antimicrobial. And if you're feeling okay with that, then you can add a second dose, but she couldn't go hitting the ground running. Right. And I think that, uh, there like, it's just inflamed GI tissue, whether it's in the, in the stomach or elsewhere. Um, and I think I need to, I needed a reminder of that. <laughs> so this was helpful. Yeah. You know, I, it, it is, these, these are always helpful when you dive in a little bit and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to say that, um, that idea with, uh, doing demulsants first sort of, sort of matches what you think you'd do if someone's been through something hard, yeah. you know, the first thing you do is just like, give them a hug, soothe them, you know, like, uh, yeah. say it's okay. It's okay. And then, okay. After that, we'll do some. <laughs> We'll do some other sort of resilience training, but yeah, doing yeah. a yin, yin first, mother first, whatever, however you want to frame it. I, I do think the yeah. first is a, is a great way to go. I mean, like the client that I just brought up, it wasn't even an upper GI problem. Hers was very lower GI, but I, but I think it's, 
universally a lot of people who have had any kind of like part in the pun uh shit storm or signs of inflammation in their digestion mm-hmm. could probably use a little TLC even if it's not GERD and stomach related and stuff but my demulcents man like people I put on demulcents they are so thankful they're yeah. just like what is this magic and I was like it's just really simple stuff but we love it yeah so, yeah totally okay yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for having a, a good discussion about uh, gastritis. And I'm I'm pretty sure you're the one of us two that have, I'm kidding. We probably both have it. No, um, I probably have gastritis for sure. I have some kind of, I've had, I have some level of it and whether I've completely, I, but I, I'm just gonna be like, I've been burping more lately. And I was like, I'm doing everything right. Why isn't it happening? And I think I need to double down on some of my, some certain things maybe some underlying gastritis or Dave needs to come do some visceral manipulation on my stomach. Ayo. Yeah. Well, I, I said next time we get together, I'll, uh, I'll definitely yeah. be, be doing that. And before we get together, you will, I will tell you how it goes when I try the uh, HCL capsule test mm-hmm. and we can talk about that another time, but to, to everyone listening, thanks so much for, uh, to, for listening to us again this week on chronic gastritis. Yeah.